Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Good morning. Today we continue our intricate look at the Gospel of Luke. And right now, we're continuing through that family tree of Jesus listed in Luke chapter 3. Here's where we've got to. Luke 3, verses 31 to 32. David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon. Now, we heard about Boaz last week from Mark, and here we see his father is a man called Salmon. Now, in Matthew's list of Jesus's ancestors, Salmon is described in this way. Matthew 1 verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. The fact is, we know very little about Salmon. He only appears by name in the Bible in genealogies. But we do know quite a lot about his wife, Rahab, and she is actually important enough to be included by name herself in Matthew's list of Jesus's family tree. So today, as we consider a closer look at some of Jesus's ancestors, we will be looking at Rahab. Let's sum up Rahab. We can do that by reading Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. From that scripture alone, we learn that she helped God's people and that she was a prostitute. I love the fact that there are some very unexpected types of characters in Jesus's family tree. His ancestors were far from perfect. Do you ever feel far from perfect? Well, take heart, my friend, because God does not discount the far from perfect. In fact, he takes what the world might despise or treat badly and he uses it for his glory. Let's read 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Did you get that? Verse 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
And hear verse 28 from the New Living Translation. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. I love that. I absolutely love that. God does not do things the way the media would paint him to be. He's not choosing the best of the best, the strongest, the brightest, the most beautiful. He chooses us, a motley crew of screw-ups, stuff-ups and fed-ups. He knew our imperfections before he chose us and he still chooses us to partner with him and be integral parts of his plan here on earth for such a time as this. Media often paints God as a big angry judge smiting everyone who sins. Well yeah, God hates sin. But he does not hate the sinner. He loves them to death. Yeah, He loves them to Jesus's death on the cross. He's eager to restore fallen people to their full potential in him. You know, when we are not tempted to sin in a particular way, we can get easily self-righteous and unforgiving. And when we are busy looking at the failings of others, it's easy to completely forget that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has fallen short of God's glorious standard? Who? All of us. And you know, falling short is falling short. Imagine you take up dangerous parkour as a hobby, or you decide one day to mimic a scene from James Bond movies. You start to run across the flat roof of a city building and like the heroes in movie chases, you take a leap from one roof to the next roof. Do you make it? If you fall short, does it matter if you miss by one centimetre or by 90 centimetres? Does it change the outcome? by how far you miss it. No, you will be a pancake on the ground whether you are a hair's breadth away or an arm's length away from that other roof. That's what the Bible means when it says we all have fallen short. Falling short is falling short. Stop measuring how far you fall short against someone else and start to get it that actually we're all the same. We're all a bunch of fall shorts. The only way to avoid the long descent and splatting into the pit of hell is to read on in Romans 3 verses 24 to 26. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. 
God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. You know, grace is not permission to sin. It's the ability to change. It is forgiveness and a reset. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You know, if you have never come to Jesus and received this truth for yourself, I want to give you an opportunity right now. Let's not wait to the end of this message. Act now. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Make me right in God's sight. Wash me. Cleanse me. Set me free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me live out your plans for me. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm forgiven. And I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. That's it. You are saved. And today, your leap lands you on solid ground. Now, you do not fall short. You land right where you belong, in the Father's perfect purpose for you. When I was writing some notes for today's message, uh, my device autocorrected the name Rahab to Rehab. (laughs) Well, then I thought about that. I realised, actually, it's not wrong. Rehab is short for rehabilitation, and that is the process of change that brings a person to recovery and restoration. Well, isn't that exactly right in the Christian journey? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross made us right with God. I just love verse 25 and 26 of Romans 3. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God sees beyond your past. If you feel unqualified for ministry due to your past, I want you to get this message today. It is time for a Rahab rehab in your thinking. God says, get past your past. Because God already has. And as we're learning today, this perfect man, Jesus, whose sacrifice is the only thing that makes us right with God, does not come from a line of perfect people. Remember, God chose what is foolish in the world. God chose what is weak in the world. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Just look at the women named in Jesus's hereditary. You've got Rahab, who we're thinking about today, a pagan Canaanite and a prostitute. That's who Rahab is. Ruth, a widowed Moabite. Bathsheba, an adulteress. And Mary, Jesus's own mother an unmarried pregnant teenager. Can you imagine the tabloid headlines on uncovering that family line for Jesus? I love that God turns what we imagine in our self-righteous minds on its head. If you have been made to feel unworthy or unusable by God because of your past, 
or even because of your present status in life, it's time for you to change that mindset over yourself. It's time to get yourself into your rehab, your rehab rehab. And if you are guilty of discounting someone from ministry potential, you also need some rehab rehab thinking today. God chooses and uses the far from perfect. God gets us past our past. This is not because of how clever we are. It's only because of our place in Jesus. God harnesses our hidden potential and he makes it visible for all to see. All we need to do is place ourselves in God's plans for us. Let's hear Rahab the prostitute's complete story as shown in the Bible. And I want to give a big thank you to Debbie and Ian for reading the story for you today. Joshua 2 verses 1 to 21. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirits left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and to deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your own way. 
The man said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Verses 9 to 13, just read by Debbie there, contain the longest speech recorded in the Bible from a woman. Get that? The prostitute gets a big speech in the word of God. Oh, I hope I'm shaking some thinking foundations today. (laughs) Now I wondered, why did the spies choose to stay with the prostitute? Well, these are my thoughts. Perhaps she was the only one willing to take them in. I expect her standards for visitors was pretty low. And, you know, it would be an easy place for two men to hide away. However, I really want to be clear here. There's no evidence in scripture that there's anything other than hiding going on in that home between Rahab and these two spies. And perhaps the most important, God led them to her, knowing her true character inside out. The name Joshua is a form of the name Jesus. And in this story, Joshua sends his spies out and a sinner receives them. Centuries later, Jesus comes along and he is received by sinners. God doesn't avoid sinners. He's not hiding his head in the clouds, hoping they go away without noticing him. No, he wants sinners to receive him. Rahab's speech shows immense faith. Verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And in verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. It is interesting to me how afraid the people of Jericho are of the people of God. Rahab mentions a clear reputation that follows them right back from the parting of the Red Sea 40 years previously and other victories that they'd seen within those interim 40 years. But when I read the books of Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, I see the Israelites as a bunch of unfaithful wimps who kept letting God down and prolonged their wandering in the desert by decades due to their doubting and complaining. Sorry, That is actually their reputation with me in that part of the Bible. But to Rahab, their reputation was as a powerful, unbeatable, God-favoured force. Reputation. The Israelites had a reputation of being unbeatable. Rahab had a reputation of being a harlot. But you know, reputation is just what you are reputed to be. It doesn't necessarily mean anything unless it's followed with action. 
James 2 verse 24 to 25 says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Your faith should lead to action. Rahab didn't just believe that God was powerful. She acted. And in doing this, Rahab changed her reputation. She went from prostitute to proselyte. That means fully converted to serving God. Don't worry about your current reputation. A good one can be useful. But so can a bad one. You know, Rahab's home may have been chosen by the spies as an easy place to disappear into. Her bad reputation may well be what gave her the opportunity to be saved. So don't let your reputation hold you down and hold you back. Let God manage your reputation. Remember, Jesus himself did not have a good reputation with the religious authorities. Jesus did not try to change their opinion of him. Reputation is not as important as we think it is, and it's not fixed. A reputation can change. Being people pleasers can get us into trouble. Don't spend too much energy on worrying what people think of you. It is wasting time. Just have faith in God. Do what is right and follow through. And that's exactly what Rahab did. As it happens, the Israelites in this instance did live up to their reputation with Rahab. They showed that God was most definitely on their side. In Joshua 6, we read specific instructions that God gives Joshua to take Jericho, and they're not your ordinary battle plans. Did you know the city of Jericho is considered the greatest walled fortress of all time? The walls were 30 feet tall, and 20 feet wide. They were impenetrable. There was no way any human would be able to conquer it. But God, right? The Israelites were told to march around the city in advance of their victory. Where you place your foot is a significant thing with God. You know, Jesus told his disciples to shake off the dust from their feet from where they were rejected. Moses was told to remove his footwear, to place his feet on holy ground when he was in the presence of God. And Joshua himself was promised that he would be given wherever he lay his hat. No, not his hat, his foot. Here it is, Joshua 1 verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, promise God. God wants us to walk out our faith. The Israelites were told to march around Jericho's immense city walls once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day, the day that they would take the city, they were told to march around those impenetrable walls seven times, seven times on one day. Well, that sounds really exhausting before a battle. You'd actually think a good night's sleep would be a better preparation to take on a city. 
but God. He takes what we imagine and turns it on its head. It also occurs to me, you know, that in walking around those big impenetrable walls, the people were having to face the enormous challenge ahead of them. And they were having to face and see their own inability to actually do it themselves. They had no hope except in God to get into that city. Anyway, let's pick up the story in Joshua 6 as read by Debbie and Ian. Joshua 6, 15 to 27. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Joshua 6, 20-25 So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. When the Israelites let out a roar of praise... Those huge walls fell down flat. The walls that were meant to hold them back became a ramp to give them access to victory. In life, there are times when things seem to raise themselves up as big, impenetrable barriers to our daily victory. This story tells us that what we perceive as a barrier may actually become our way in. You know, starting out as a prostitute should never lead to being great, 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 times a lot, grandmother of Jesus Christ. Being a prostitute should be a barrier to being used and honoured by God. But she is honoured 
Do you know Rahab is one of only two women commended for their faith in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame? And her past is never hidden. It's referred to boldly because the label itself shows God's grace. You know, we don't know any more than what we have read today about Rahab. She remained with Israel and from the genealogies, we know that she must have married a man called Salmon. I've not read this in any commentaries and I am not a biblical scholar, so take this next statement as a pinch of salt. But as a romantic novelist at heart, I like to think that one of the two unnamed spies might have been Salmon. I like that idea. She protects him, then he rescues her. It's a good story, but I have no evidence for this. And really, it doesn't matter, does it? Rahab was rehabbed. She got past her past and boldly became part of the most important family line ever known on planet Earth. Don't let the devil lie to you and keep you chained to your past or even to your present mistakes. That's not who God is. God is the one who chooses the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the shepherds, the fishermen, the murderers, the adulterers, the foreigners, the pagans to be his friends and family. In his presence, they rehabilitate and their past has no bearing on their future. In God's hands, prostitutes become proselytes, shepherds, become kings, tax collectors and murderers, become authors of the New Testament and foreigners. Oh, fishermen, don't forget the fishermen. They became evangelists and church planters and foreigners, pagans and adulterers become honoured parts of God's grand salvation plan, part of Jesus's line. For some of us today, we need to take a moment and review our prejudices This list I've just shared with you really shows that there is no one that God overlooks or considers too bad for his service. For others of us, heaven is shouting loudly and the angels are blowing a ram's horn as your walls are starting to tumble down. Don't let the fortress you have built around your heart to protect yourself be the barrier that prevents you from pursuing every life purpose God has for you. As I close, I'm going to minister for a moment in prayer. I want you to let all those walled places fall and accept the loving forgiving rehabilitation of the Holy Spirit to lead you into recovery and restoration. Then I'd like you to fully join in with the song that comes after to close the service. If you're in a room with other family members right now, you may feel restrained. I want you to make a decision in that room together now to go for this. Give each other a thumbs up right now across the room. Excellent. Say to your families, I'm going to ignore you now. Then close your eyes and shut 
every distraction out. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for Jesus and your sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross that makes us right with God. I thank you, God, that you look past our past and you look ahead and have a plan to use us for this present time. Holy Spirit, minister to each of us in our homes right now. As we close our eyes, light a touch paper in our soul and bring revelation and restoration to those dark and hidden places deep within. Rehabilitate us, refine us, refire us, restore us, recreating us a passion to live out every plan and purpose you have for us. Today, we declare no more barriers to our fulfilled potential in Christ. Now see those walls in your mind now. Look at them and name them in your mind. Walls of insecurities, walls of sickness, walls of abuse, walls of fear, walls of lack and poverty, walls of prejudice, walls of past mistakes, walls of falling short time and time again. Walls of status, walls of disappointment. Whatever the walls, name them. Name them in your mind and look at them in your mind. Walk around them. Walk around the walls in your mind. Start to take territory in faith. Come on, take territory. Start to walk around those walls, your walls. And then start to speak aloud, or even in your mind, if you really feel you can't speak aloud. Sickness, you are going down. Fear, you are going down. Speak to your wall, speak to your walls and tell them they are going down. Insecurity, you are going down. Shame, you are going down. Past, my past, you are going down. Tell them they're going down. As you walk around them, tell them you are going down. In a moment, you're going to open your mouth and speak. And you're going to say aloud, under my feet, to those walls. You don't have to name the walls aloud. Just say the word, under my feet, and speak to the walls you've been talking to in your mind already. This is something you can all join in with, because in the family room, all of you can say it, under my feet. Are you ready? Three, two, one, under my feet. 
come on, tell that resistant wall again, get under my feet, under my feet. Let the Spirit of God rise up in you as you declare in the spiritual realm, walls get under my feet and start to stamp your feet as you see those walls coming down. Come on, stamp. Start to stamp. I declare, I declare that these walls are under my feet. I declare that these walls have come down. They are under my feet. I declare right now over you that these walls are no longer your barrier. They have become your ramp to victory. Step forwards and walk into your victory. If you can, if you are able, get up to your feet and raise your hands and start to let out a praise to Jesus. Join in with that last song we're about to release and release a praise from your mouth and let yourself go. Give God all the glory. Oh my God, you are so good. You never give up on me. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. 